0: Anyway, in the end, to cut a long story short, I got sacked.
1: You got sacked? Well, because you were bored or you were never there.
0: Well, there was an incident at sea.
1: (laughs) (laughs) This is a Dementia Podcast. I'm Colm Cunningham. That's John Swinton with myself, having a laugh about some of the twists and turns that has led to the work he is now doing. John is a good friend and someone I've known for nearly 10 years. Professionally, John is a theologian and a world leader in the field of disability theology. His formal title is Professor of Practical Theology and Pastoral Care at the University of Aberdeen in the north of Scotland. Understanding a person's background, their culture, more about their family, all these things help deepen our ability to care for the person beyond just looking at the diagnosis. John's work looks at understanding how our spirituality and faith shape who we are. Normally when I come to Aberdeen, the rain is that fine mist that seems to leave you 100% damp. But not today, as I look to my left at a clear blue sky and sparkling Scottish North Sea. I've even brought Fergus, my Bernese Mountain Dog puppy with me as his brother lives near John, so a doggy playdate awaits. After John tells me about his adventures on the high seas, as a marine scientist, a man of many talents, we get on to how he found his way into nursing.
0: And that was uh, a turning point in life because that was when I found the first part of my my vocation. So I trained originally in psychiatry and then I retrained in uh, learning disability, intellectual disability as it is now. And I nursed for a total of around about 16 years, and I liked it a lot. And then I, I around about, I don't know, 89, and 92, I decided to uh, leave and, and go into, well, what I thought I would do is end up in hospital chaplaincy, because my, my father was a chaplain, so it was kind of, and I was a healthcare worker. It's not that hospital chaplains is like, genetically passed on. It's, mm-hmm. it's just, <laughs> it just happens to be, it's, it's in the family. But as soon as I got to university, I knew that I wanted to teach practical theology. For uh, I don't exactly know why I knew, but I just knew it was the right thing to do. And so I finished my degrees, did my PhD, got a job down in Glasgow to begin with. And I was in Glasgow for three weeks when a job came up in Aberdeen again. Oh. So I came back up to Aberdeen. I hadn't moved. I was, I was living down there myself, so the family was still here. And I've been there ever since. And so basically what's happened in relation to my academic work is I spent my academic life reflecting on my life as a healthcare professional. Mm -hmm. And all the experiences I I get or had with people who see the world differently now become things that help me to understand theology differently. Mm -hmm. How do you understand God in relation to profound intellectual disability, or how do you, or, or people living with dementia? What does it mean to know God when you've forgotten who you who, who, who God is, mm-hmm. or forgotten who yourself is? So all these all these earlier days was a kind of seedbed for what I ended up as a, a theologian. So that's how I came. I don't know how I managed to get through these different kind of different
1: avenues, but it all took me to a good place in the end. I'm always pleased to hear a story like that because. I'm always disturbed when people describe this very straight line well I did this this and this because yeah. it wasn't that for me either you know yeah. life's uh you know and in many ways that's half the challenge is understanding that uh when we're, we're meeting somebody with dementia is just oh, right. uh, unraveling it because it's not as if it's uh, something that you can just sit down once and say oh that's that's their story you're no, always telling exactly. and unraveling it.
0: Exactly, and that's, that's one of the challenges of something like reminiscence, is you're reminiscing on a whole really complex life, some of which is good, some of which is bad. Some of the things you'll bring to the fore are good, some of the things you'll bring to the fore won't be so good. So it's how you untangle that and enable people to live well, it's, it's complicated, because people's stories are complicated.
1: Is there a story you talked there about uh, the fact that, uh, you know, faith has a, it has a very important role um, in people's lives, um, uh, is is there anything that led you to look at that in terms of your book, Living in the Memories of God, um, uh, and the importance of that in people with dementia's lives?
0: Well, the thing that made me begin to think about that was my my nursing. I mean, the first my first day on the wards and nursing was in what used to be called uh, the dementia ward, mm-hmm. which was called Upper Garden Dementia Ward. And I went in there, like, and it was just chaos. Like, there was people running around, no, had no idea what they were doing. I couldn't understand what people were saying. Like, that was just the staff. <laughs> 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 and then, there's, like, and people with dementia who were kind of getting no stimulation. You'd, some people you'd just get up in the morning, you sit in front of the television, and they'd watch. Get, get kids' programmes uh, and then go to bed at night. Like, mm-hmm. Not because people were deliberately neglectful, it's just because people just assumed that that was the case. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, when you sit down and speak to people and when you begin to spend time, once you get past the initial strangeness of, of a ward like that, in mm-hmm. a ward environment is, is always a bit odd, um, you begin to see things differently. Mm-hmm. And so the, the basic questions that I, I begin to think about in, in that, that dementia book come out of probably a lot of them come out of that first day that sense of confusion my confusion rather than the confusion the people that were there and realizing the impact of a carer's confusion or lack of clarity about what's going on on the people that uh, that they're seeking to offer care to mm-hmm. so some of these basic care questions come out of that and then I worked as a, a community mental health chaplain for a number of years as well and Within that context, I was responsible for uh, uh, guiding worship with people with dementia and, and visiting people with dementia. And again, these same issues come up when you're in the middle of a worship service and people who are not very often normally not particularly responsive suddenly become responsive, sing or pray or, or, or whatever. You have to ask the question, what's going on there? Yeah, so you have to ask the question, what's that about? Mm-hmm. And you can say, well, it's just psychological or it's just you know, well-learned memory. Or you can say, no, there's something else going on here. And so that same experience I had in my earlier nursing career where you you, you know there's something more to people than you're able to facilitate an award in 1976 or whenever it was. Came back in in my chapel and said, you know, there's more Mm -hmm. (laughs) going on here. And so it's working out what that more was within a spiritual context. It Mm. was the the beginning point for that, my thinking in that book.
1: After our initial chat, I was curious about the training faith leaders might have about dementia. And I put this question to John when we again met, down under in Sydney, for the 2022 International Dementia Conference.
0: Well, I, one of my, my roles in Aberdeen University is i a Master of Christ College. So, Colin, you can call me Master. Master. Yes. And the, my, one of the responsibilities I have is to, for the training of uh, ministers for the Presbyterian Church of Scotland. And I think it always strikes me as that within their curriculum, there's nothing on mental health, nothing on dementia. So they go out after their their theological training and trained in lots of different things, practically and theologically, but then suddenly discover there's mental health challenges out there and there's people with dementia and they don't know what to do with it, either in terms of theology, what they think about God in that situation or in practice. So I think there's an educational gap there. Uh, And so, as you know, we're in the process of developing a new research project, looking at how we can, how best we can enable uh, uh, ordinance and pastors to become dementia aware and to create dementia friendly ways of thinking and ways of practicing. So over the next two years, we're gonna be speaking with theological educators, with people who are training for ministry and people with dementia to try to work out the best way to train ministers.
2: I've been talking with Claire and Jim for almost an hour. Claire suggests it's time for a break, so we get some tea and crack open the macarons. Colm and I have talked about reactions from friends and family, and I was curious about the people around Claire and Jim and what reactions they might have had to Claire's diagnosis. Do you remember telling your sons about your diagnosis? Is that something you did or did you get Jim? A little bit. Did you get Jim to do it?
3: Did that happen as well? Who? Well Daniel was involved. He was involved in the trial interview and he was involved Mm -hmm. in pointing us to Dr. McCellen and knew who Dr. McCallan was and so every time we went to Dr. McCallan over in Glen Iris uh, Daniel would want to know how we got on, and and he stayed close about that. Yeah. And and as a result, he knew as quickly as what we did yeah. what the di- the diagnosis was. Um, Andrew down in uh, Bray Joined the knowledge base by perhaps just family word of mouth. Daniel through Daniel and perhaps mm. me. I don't recall any big announcement yeah. that we made. Mm. Um, Luke again found out through family word of mouth. Uh, Luke's never approached us about Claire's diagnosis. He okay. he doesn't cope very well with yeah. that. Okay. Uh, other than mm. to support me he 's made a, a few uh, comments to support me mm. but it 's interesting the boys all had different reactions mm. to claire 's diagnosis. Mm. Daniel took it as a very in a very professional oh, way well, special. this is how it is and mm. um, and then andrew wouldn 't wouldn't address the issue directly with us and and Luke still hasn't really Mm. addressed the issue directly with us we have friends who are medicos yeah um and and one of them is an oncologist Mm. now, now retired he wasn't at the time. And his wife is a, um, an obstetrician and gynecologist mm. and she was retired at the time. Yeah. So we took them into our confidence uh, because they are very good and close friends. Beautiful. So, mm. And they, um, they gave us some interesting support. Yeah. Uh, well, they gave us lots of support. Yeah. And when I was breaking down...
0: You broke
2: down.
3: They helped me through it.
2: Good. Yeah. Well, that was what happened. I was just... Yeah. That's what goes on. That's good that you've got those people in your life, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah.
1: In Ilse's conversation with Claire, one thing that might be invisible is their relationship as neighbours, as people. Running into each other in the elevator, finding out more about her as a person and her career, long before they ever got onto the topic of dementia or Claire's diagnosis. During IDC, Ilsa had a chat with John about the importance of understanding and knowing the person.
2: I want to hear more about what you think, like how you think theologically about dementia and thinking about supporting people um, of Christian faith and supporting people who don't have Christian faith in, a, in that kind of spiritual way. I think that's something you've done a lot of thinking about. Uh-huh. Yeah,
0: And I think theologically, to begin with, uh, there's a fundamental problem with back to Western culture, but there's a fundamental problem with the way we create people and understand who people are. Mm. Uh, and so you, you've probably heard the language that some people might use, that he or she's not the person they used to be. Yes. Like, or, or, yes. or what, I, don't, I want to remember the way they are. Mm. There's a reason why people think like that. It's because they have a particular understanding of what a human being is and what memory is in the context of being human. right? So people assume that memory is something you bring from the past and into the present and then project a possible future. So recall is what memory is. And it does look as if people with dementia begin to lose that, like. The problem there is that uh, when you forget about your past, and can't really project into the future it looks as if you're no longer there mm. because you can't do that you can't, you can't get that sense of who I are because you can't remember who you are in that way mm. um, but in reality we are not because of what we remember ourselves we actually be, 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 we are who we are because of the people around us mm. because you and I you know you, 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 we hold each other even just the simple thing is we call each other by name right mm. so if, if for whatever reason everybody's decided to call me David and kiss John Eventually, I'd become David because I just resigned myself to it. Yeah. And it's the same dynamic with with, with with dementia that we hope we can. If you, if you can call somebody a, a dementia sufferer, and eventually they'll feel that way, and you'll treat them that way, then they'll lose their identity as Mary or Jane. But if you call them a person, if you remember the name, if you treat them accordingly, then they're held in that. They may not remember certain things, but they have a strong sense of who they are. And the theological dimension of that is that ultimately we're not who we are because what we remember ourselves to be, we are who we are because God remembers us. Mm. And that's the center point, from a theological point perspective of what holds you in place. Mm. Now, if you're not a religious person, you still get that same dynamic with the community. You are who you are, as long as your community holds you there. Mm. The problem very often is your community doesn't. Mm. So one of the main problems for many people with dementia, it's not that they just forget, it's they are forgotten. Mm. As soon as you're a forgotten person pushed away there, then you live into that role a mm. so part of that's neurological, but part of it's social and psychological.
2: It's towards the end of the conference. We're right beside the publishing stall, and a couple of staff are packing boxes of books on the floor nearby. I wonder how much the recording equipment will catch the sound of packing tape tearing out of the dispensers. I feel like John is someone I can dig deeper with, philosophically and politically. Maybe that's just something we expect of a theologian, There's something I really like about feeling as though it's appropriate to ask about the big stuff. But maybe it's not just our friends or families that might be part of this. Claire and Jim's journey to care is a journey I was somewhat familiar with, but I was curious about where it might not be so simple. I wanted to know John's thoughts on how, within health or religious organisations, issues might start popping up, and how sometimes institutions can fail people. How does that happen?
0: There's an ambiguity to all institutions in that sense, they can be used for great good and they can used for great evil. And the fact that we're talking about health doesn't make it any less of an institution, yeah. It's, it's the same dynamic runs within organizations. And that, as I was saying in my, in my presentation yesterday, when I was doing some stuff on uh, carer presence, that uh, organizations have mental health problems. There's a psyche that runs through your organization, like so. An organization can be. Psychotic, which means that if you're inside it, it feels great. If you're outside looking and you say, "What the heck's going on here?" <laughs> and they can be neurotic, yeah. you know, because everybody's anxious in there and they're terrified to do anything. Or they can be depressed because everybody's. And so you you have an, an organisation, that is know, psyche that actually is really important. And within health and social care, for example, you, just, you just have that exactly that same dynamic. You can have a healthcare place where you really are doing a lot of good healing work, but over here you have a, a real psych, mental health challenge what's going on which really profoundly affects uh, staff for example who may be doing really good care but you've actually got an atmosphere in there that's something else uh, and that's when difficulties begin to emerge.
1: Thanks for listening. The Dementia Podcast is produced by Joel Martin and is edited by Sally Grosvenor. Mixing and technical support from Neil Blanco with fact-checking and research by Gina Pirello. In partnership with our friends at Sydney University Conservatorium of Music, the music team is managed by Dr. Narelle Yeo, with composition supervised by Erin McKellar, who is also the composer of the Dementia Podcast theme. The composer for this episode's music is Catherine Bombardieri. Our website is dementiapodcast.com the Dementia Podcast is a production by Hammond Care's Dementia Centre.